Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. As, uh, as today's passage lends itself to a special consideration of, of aging. Uh, now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but getting old and getting older are two different things. Um, I was walking out from, uh, from Wednesday night services the other day, and I got behind one of our younger families. It was mom and dad, and each of them were holding the hands of a little person in between. And as I was looking at it, I was like, he was just a baby last week, and now he's like a little dude. I mean, I don't know when that happened, but, but what's happening happens to all of us. He's getting, he's getting older, and it happens to each and every single one of us. Getting old, though, is a different story. There's a documentary series that was released on one of the streaming services recently. It featured Chris Hemsworth. Uh, he's that sissy guy that plays Thor in all the Marvel movies. Uh, and he was on a quest to extend his life as part of this documentary series. He was trying hard to avoid getting old, which was counterintuitive because he was subjecting himself to extreme circumstances to try to avoid getting old. It's fascinating to go, to go and watch. But so far in all of humanity, there's only one really surefire way to avoid getting old, and nobody's really signing up for that. There's an entire economy that's been built around trying to avoid this inedible, inevitable reality from Botox injections to skincare regimens, no offense intended if anybody's, uh, Pastor, did you see me go into the clinic the other day? Uh, just Google, just Google anti-aging and you will find every cream under the sun that is guaranteed to help you maintain that youthful glow. And since I Googled it for you, every company on the internet is now trying to sell me that cream that helps me maintain that, that youthful glow that, uh, that I, I, I am so proud of. Now, there is not a thing wrong with putting forth the effort necessary to take care of your body and work towards maintaining good health. Uh, but something that all the healthiest people in the world have in common is that they all will inevitably do what? They all get old. Um, demographers tell us, in a more serious note, that we are facing an aging population. Birth rates have fallen below replacement rates, which, if you're getting older, that's not good for a for a society to have its birth rates fall. And with that brings numerous challenges. It's put a stress on the social safety nets that we have in place like Social Security and, and Medicare. We see more and more assisted living and skilled nursing facilities opening up to help meet the needs of this aging population. We've got one going in right here next to Ridgeland High School, which I, I guess that's good because in that one little area, you've got everything from, from children all the way to, uh, to the other end of, of life. So, I mean, that's a, that's a one-stop shop for youth pastors and senior pastors alike right there. Um, the Bible handles aging, though, not as something to be feared, but as something to be revered. Today I want us to catch up with a guy that we encountered before. We haven't uh, met him in a long time. He did a, a lot for the nation of Israel back in the book of Numbers, but he's been silent ever since. He shows up in Joshua chapter 14 to teach us a thing or two about getting old. 
We ended last week in Joshua chapter 10, a major battle between God's people and this coalition of Canaanites. Stunning miracle, sun stood still in the sky. The Israelites rout their enemies. You know the story. Go back and listen last week if you missed it. We get through chapter 10 and 11. It details victories that the nation of Israel experienced. Chapter 12 gives us a recap of all the land that had been conquered by Moses and Joshua. And most everything in the book of Joshua from chapter 13 to, ver- to chapter 21 It details how the land is broken up. And I'll just say this, because it's okay to own this, it's a tough read. I understand that we get to the Gospels and we hear the stories of Jesus, and man, these are great stories. These are great miracles. These are incredible things to hear. We get to the Pauline letters, and Paul is teaching us and encouraging us and challenging us. We get to some of the Old Testament passages that talk about breaking land up. It's a chore. Uh, because we're just not there. It's not our land. I mean, if, if, if it's a description of your property, you're all about it. Like, oh, okay, I know where this is. But if it's a description of an ancient piece of property that you've probably never seen before, it is a little bit of a tougher read. But you need to read it. Because in the middle of the mundane details about borders and cities and those sort of things, you get some really interesting stories like the one we're going to talk about today from Joshua chapter 14. We'll begin reading here in verse 6. If you're able, would you please stand with me as I read Joshua chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. The Bible says the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, there's Caleb again, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said. These 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness, and now, behold, this day I am 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and for coming. So now, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anikim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him. And he gave him Hebron, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anikim, and the land had rest from war. Father, I thank you for the story of Caleb. Again, we don't hear much about him from your word, but every time we meet him, he is such a challenge to us. He's a man of great faith. He's a man of great action. We pray, Father, that Caleb might inspire and inform us today as we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, Caleb has been quiet for some time, and we've not heard much about him, but in his silence, we can recognize what he was probably doing because he is a man of great faith. He's obedient to the Lord. So we know kind of what he was probably up to. 
He was a faithful man. We know that it must have broken his heart to see the nation in the shape that it was in as it traveled through the wilderness for those 40 years. He, he knew in his heart that all that was unnecessary. You ever been in that place where you've watched somebody go through a trial and go through suffering and you look at it and say, man, you didn't have to go through this. If you had just done it this way, you could have avoided all this pain and suffering and, and, and trial. And you know Caleb probably felt that way. He's like, guys, we didn't have to do this. We didn't have to spend these 40 years roaming around in the desert. This wasn't necessary. But we know that he must have felt that way. We know that he was probably there when, when the nation came into Canaan and Ai was, was there and it was that painful defeat. We knew that he was there, though. He was fighting the battles. He was doing what he believed was important. And now it's time to finally divvy up the land. And this is where Caleb's faith shines through once again. And again, what does Caleb here stand to teach us about aging and serving in the kingdom of God? And the first thing that Caleb reminds us here is that older Christians have a story to tell that certainly benefits younger Christians. Caleb gives this brief recount of his story. At 40 years old, he was part of the original spy team. He was sent in to scout out the promised land. I guess we might call him Jewish Team 12 or something. I don't know. I mean, they were this, this elite group that went in to spy out the promised land. And, and he remembered when he came back from spying out the land that he and Joshua were there and they were encouraging the nation to do the right thing, to, to go into Canaan, that, that they could win, that they could conquer because of God's faithfulness to them. But as is often the case, uh, his optimism was no was no match for the pessimist. Isn't that always the case? And I'm often a pessimist, and so I understand. And maybe that's why I'm a pessimist, because like I, you know, I get the upper hand on all the optimists, you know. But again, it's no match there. And the truth is this. If you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you've got God's stories that you need to tell people about. If you've been walking with the Lord, you've got stories about the, about the Lord that you need to be telling other people about. One of my greatest heartbreaks as a pastor is when I get to the end of someone's life and I'm at a funeral and I realize that as that person is in the, you know, they've gone on to be with the Lord and we're standing there around the box. There is that sense that there are stories that went untold. That there were things that that person experienced, that there were things that, that God taught that person and those stories went untold. Sometimes families are left with incredible memories of a life lived for Christ. And sometimes there are countless stories that have gone untold. You need to tell your story. Your children and grandchildren need to hear their stories. Listen to me, what I'm about to say to you is very unpopular. You need to look at them and you need to take these things from them and have their undivided attention for a moment and tell them your story. I ran across something the other day. It was called a phone jail. Uh, and it was a little cage that you could get. And it had a key. And you could collect those electronic devices and you can put them in the phone jail. And if you're old like this lady was, you can then have the excuse you forgot where the key is so the phone could stay in the jail even longer. Take their devices from them. Take their tablets from them and tell them your story. Let them hear what Christ has done in your life. They need to know it. They need to hear it. And as I was thinking about this, though, I couldn't help but realize that there may be some folks with gray hair that may not have a story to tell. Age does not always equal faithfulness. And some of you today may not really be walking with the Lord. 
Maybe you've lived a life where you have flown under the spiritual radar screen. You've not made any real ripples in the pond, but today you're not really doing anything for the Lord either. Could very well be that there may be senior citizens even in this room today, certainly in our community, who've never given their life to Christ. As pastor, I've had the privilege of baptizing people in their 70s and 80s who've been faithful church members, but who've never given their life to Christ. As we get older, we do start to pay attention more to our health. I hear of older folks who talk about their doctor's visits. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, how many of you have got multiple doctor's visits this week? It's okay, show, it's okay, show your hand, it's okay. Um, we start to pay more attention to our, our health. You know, you got to go to this doctor and that doctor and this, this physician and this therapist. It's okay, that, that's okay. But even as we are concerned with things like high blood pressure and diabetes and all those other afflictions that are brought on by time, we also need to be mindful of our spiritual health as well. And just like going to a doctor, the doctor is going to ask you questions about your physical health. There's some important questions that you can ask about your spiritual health as well. One of those questions that you might need to ask is this, what is the most important thing to you right now? What is the most important thing to you right now? How do you answer that? Is it retirement? Is it grandchildren? Is it health? If those are the answers, they may seem like good answers, but from a spiritual standpoint, they're not the best answers. The right answer is Jesus. Jesus is the most important thing in my life. And again, that doesn't mean that we don't take care of retirement and grandchildren and health and all those things, but we must focus first on Jesus. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. All these things are all those other things that take our time, that take our attention, that call for our focus. All those other things matter, but nothing matters like Jesus matters. Another question, what kind of fruit has my life produced? If you're struggling to find any real contribution to the kingdom, it might be good to engage in some spirit-led self-examination. Another question, am I doing anything for the kingdom right now? Simple questions, but they get to the heart of the matter. We understand, of course, that we are not saved by our works. As a matter of fact, we cannot take one iota of credit for our salvation. The great awakening preacher Jonathan Edwards is credited with saying this, you contribute nothing to your salvation other than the sin that makes it necessary. In spite of that, we do recognize that saving faith produces sanctifying works. And again, we may be talking about aging, but those are questions not just for senior adults, they're for all of us. Because I'm convinced that there are people who fill our churches every Sunday because they believe that going to church makes them a good person. But the reality is, is it couldn't be further from the truth because there is nothing here that makes you good. What there is here is the opportunity to encounter the only one who is good, the Lord Jesus Christ. Another important lesson from Caleb is this, age in and of itself is not a limiting factor in service to the kingdom of God. Caleb makes no bones about his age. He is 85 years old. And that's in, they, I know they lived longer back then, but, but even then they weren't living like they were in like the book of Genesis. They weren't, they weren't making it to the 400, 500 year mark. 85 years old, Caleb has officially outlived the life expectancy in our country when he is here. 
You say, man, he's, a, he's an old guy. And we've got some that are older than 85 in the room, but, but not many. It's not a, it's not, it, it, that's, that's getting up there. And, and at 85, there's no doubt that Caleb made his share of trips to the cardiologist, right? I mean, he's got his blood pressure medicine, his cholesterol medicine. He's got all those things that he's, that he's taking, right? Actually, no. Caleb looks at Joshua and he says this. He says, I'm still as strong today as I was when Moses sent me out. He says, I'm as strong today at 85 as I was at 40. He says, my strength for battle and daily tasks is now as it was then. He's a bad 85-year-old. I wouldn't want to fight him. I mean, he says, I, I can t- I'm, I'm as strong as I was when I was on that, that spy team. I'm as strong now as I was then. And Caleb, at 85 years old, he is ready to go into the land. Pay attention. The land that he wants is the land where the giants lived. The giants that scared the spies away the first time. I have to step out onto this just because it's here. It's been a temptation the whole time. (laughs) He wants to go fight the land where the giants live who scared the Israelites away the first time at 85. He doesn't come to Joshua and say, you know, that beachfront area is really nice. I'll go go to that beachfront area and I'll, I'll fight those people. He says, no, I want the hill country where the giants live. Those giants that scared us away the first time. I want that piece of property. I want that land. And then he just calls them out for good measure. He says, I will drive them out. Just like the Lord said. You almost get the sense that he's got a score to settle with these people. And he's ready to settle it. He's ready to do what it takes. Their size intimidated the people, scared them away from God's promises. But Caleb, at age 85, is ready to take on the greatest challenge of his life. It's an impressive statement. And it reminds us of something important. We should not allow our age alone to be a roadblock to our service. Age is not a sufficient excuse not to serve. Sometimes you hear these things in church. I've served my time. It's time to let the younger generation lead. And I understand the intent of such a statement. I really do. It comes from a good place. But I think we've heard the old cliche that there's a hot road somewhere that's paved with good intentions, right? The intent is good, but the effect is not. As someone who I used to speak from a younger generation, but now I've, uh, I've, I've moved into the kind of the middle of the road there. But as I speak on behalf of a younger generation, particularly to our senior adults, I don't want you to step aside and let others work. I don't want you to step aside and let others work. I want you to work alongside of me and a younger generation. I want you to work alongside these folks in these younger generations because we value that wisdom, we value that experience, we value that insight, and if you step aside, then a younger generation never has the opportunity to serve with you. And that's not good for any of us. This would be the equivalent of, of Caleb coming to Joshua and saying, hey, man, I'm, I'm done. 
And at 85, how many of us could look at him and say, you know, he, he, he's been fighting for a long time. It's all right if he wants to take a back seat. It's all right if he wants the, the recliner in the tent while everybody else goes to fight. It's okay. We, we get it. Caleb could go to Joshua. Just give me this little piece of property. Let the younger folks fight the giants. Listen to me. And I mean this from a place of love. If you are a senior adult, you ought to be looking for opportunities to serve with our young people. You ought to be looking for opportunities to serve in our kids' ministry. They need that. You ought to be looking for opportunities to serve with our, our students in our youth ministry. I've got a 13-year-old, and he gets tired of hearing from me. How much do I want him to hear from somebody who's 60, 70, 80 years old? To, to hear what Christ has done in your life. Because he's heard my story. He lives with me. I want him to hear your story. We have college kids that are thinking about getting married and doing life and all those sort of things. And, and we need our college students to hear from you folks that have been married for 50 years about how hard it was, that it wasn't always easy, that there were challenges, but you stuck through it. They need to hear you. They need to experience that from you. They need to, to learn that from you. We hear over and over again how concerned we are with the challenges that are facing the next generation. And we talk about it. And we pray about it. But perhaps the single greatest thing you can do to help the next generation is look for ways to love and serve and invest in those upcoming generations. And they need more than just your dollars. They need your wisdom, your experience, your insight. Because age, by itself, is not an excuse. There may be other issues that certainly come with age that limit our means of serving. But reaching an age threshold does not qualify. We know that in, in our secular life, that we get to a certain age, and that means that we've reached the age of retirement. That's when we're, what is it, 67 now to get uh, Medicare? Is it 65, 67? I mean, it may be 90 by the time I get there. Who knows? But we reach that threshold. It's like, oh, I get Medicare now. And that, that's like the, the number that we've set in place there. But this is in the secular world. In the kingdom of God, there's no such number that exists. Those limitations that we put out in, in our faith journey, those aren't legitimate. I'm sure Caleb had a sore back every now and then. I'm sure he had a little arthritis in his hand from gripping that sword for, for 85 years. I, he probably didn't grip it for 85, maybe 75. He probably didn't pick it up until he's 10 or 11. But Caleb was more than willing to do whatever it took to please the Lord and serve the Lord. And even when physical limitations slow us down, that should simply change the nature of our service, not put us out to pasture. Paul reminded Titus that older folks had a critical role in the church. He said in Titus chapter 2, verse 2, he said, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. He said, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Sorry, ladies. Not to be slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach, y'all laughing. They are to teach what is good and train 
the young women to love their husbands and children. Did you hear that? There's a responsibility of generations investing one into the other. There is a responsibility for that. There is a necessity for that. But this also means that younger people need to be ready and eager to receive the example and instruction of those more advanced in years. It's not just a one-way thing. It's not older folks simply pouring themselves into younger people. Younger generations need to say, we want this, we need this, we value this, we appreciate this, give me more of this. Sometimes we are prone to disregard and ignore those who are trying to invest in us. But just like old age isn't an excuse, we also know that youthfulness is not an excuse either. Timothy was admonished by Paul not to allow people to look down upon him for his youth, but to set an example for the believers. There are certainly the needs for knowledge and discipleship, but we must also make ways for younger members of our congregation to serve Christ as well. Finally, Caleb teaches us this. We all leave a legacy good or bad. We have a report of Caleb's legacy. We're told that a city was renamed. It used to be named Kiriath Arba, which means the city of Arba, who was a great warrior. When Caleb was finished, it was named Hebron, which means a place of friendship or association. Caleb's legacy was a rest from war. Caleb's legacy was a legacy of peace. Caleb didn't leave his descendants worse off than before. And the truth is, is that we all leave a legacy. People are going to talk about us when we're gone. And the question that we have to ask is, what are they going to say? Have you left something substantial? Are you building things that actually matter? I love the picture painted for us in Psalm 92, verse 12 through 15. The psalmist says this, it says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. But verse 14 says, They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Just like those trees, those who are in Christ should still be bearing fruit in old age. And though we might be slightly offended if somebody said, you know what, you're full of sap. The psalmist here actually sees that as a high word of compliment and a high word of praise because sap represents life, it represents vitality, it represents where the tree gets its nourishment and, and things from. So, so if, if the Bible calls you full of sap, it's good. If your neighbor says you're full of sap, it's not. So here it's good. When we give our lives to Christ, we need to understand this. He wants every part of that journey from start to finish. And I believe that when we get old, God wants us to be like Caleb. If we are physically able, we shouldn't stop slaying the giants just because the culture says we're old enough to retire. And if our days of slaying giants are over, it doesn't mean that we're finished. When Isaac was old and feeble, how did he serve the Lord? He served the Lord by blessing his children. When Paul was old, what did he do? Second Timothy says that he was in prison. When he was old, he served the Lord by writing and instructing Timothy. He didn't stop serving just because his circumstances grew dire. 
When John was old and unable to do much, God gave him a vision that we call the book of Revelation that has encouraged the church ever since. We often say that if you're not able to do anything else, you can always pray. Isn't it interesting that we always use prayer like it's a, well, you can't do anything else, you can pray. When did prayer become like the, well, if you can't do that, just pray. Like, like, that's, a, like that's a second class action or something. Like, you can't do anything else, at least you can pray. Truth of the matter is this, I wish we had more prayer warriors. I wish we had more people who were, who were committed to the Lord in prayer. I wish we had people who understood that their physical limitations were not actual limitations, but avenues to be more effective in their prayers. There was a sweet little lady that uh, I used to have the privilege of pastoring. Her name was Betty Perry. And Betty was a saint. Of the, she just epitomized being a saint. And her health declined. And she went on hospice care, as often happens. And again, when that happens, you expect somebody to sort of, you know, sit in their chair or in their hospital bed and they're on medication and their, their usefulness sort of slumps off. That's just sort of how we, how we sell that now. But Miss Betty took it upon herself in her time of being on hospice to become a prayer warrior. And there's a few people in my life that I've met that I really believe that when they pray that the, the gates of heaven are, sh- are shaken by their prayers and Miss Betty was one of those people that if you had something going on in your life, even when she was sick and on hospice near her death, that you could go to Miss Betty and say, Miss Betty, I need you to pray about this. And she'd pray about this, and you'd see God move. And it blow your mind. Like, like, I mean, it was such a special gift that she had in that condition of her life where, where she understood her, her heart and God's heart were, were, were in tune with one another. And, and even in her facing death, she was a precious saint that knew how to pray. And it was a special gift to the church for her to be able to pray. And so I say that to say that, that you may even be at the point of your life where you can't get out of bed where your physical health has limited you to the point that you're not able to do much of anything. But even the quietness of your voice can still shake the gates of heaven. And I, I tell you what, in this lost and dying generation that we have, we need people who know how to rattle those gates. Caleb wasn't there yet. His grip on his sword was was fierce. His vision of obedience was clear. We don't know how long Caleb lasted after this. But what we do know is that he got 85 years of faithful obedience to the Lord. And he's a challenge all of us, whether we're 25, 55, 95, Caleb's an example for all of us. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for the truth of the matter is that you are not finished with us until you say you were finished with us.
it is not our decision to make. It is not our, it is not our call. God, you are Lord over our lives. So Father, I pray that regardless of our age, that Caleb would be a model of obedience for each of us. And Lord, even if in our age we begin to experience things that cause us to slow down, our physical strength is not what it once was, our vision is not as clear as it, as it used to be, we're on more medicine than we care to think about, we go to the doctor more than we'd like to, even, God, in that, may we recognize the value that you have for us and may we recognize how important it is for us to invest in the next generation. Lord, how much our marriages need to hear the testimony of those couples who've been married 50, 60 years how much our, our, our young families need to hear of what parenting was like decades ago. Our church leaders need to hear of the stories of your work in times past. We need to hear of what you've done in other people's lives. And God, these kids that circled up here today, that meet upstairs, high school students, middle school students, how much they need to hear of how you moved and how you worked in generations past. Lord, I want every old man in this room to invest in my child. Lord, I want to invest in me. I want every old lady in this room to speak life into these young ladies who are just getting married, just having children. And this is not crazy. Lord, this is your word. This is what you teach us. This is the expectation. And I pray, God, that every young person in this room would receive it with joy, with gladness. So, God, would you challenge us today to never give up never stop being useful. To make the most of our lives. Whether we have years, decades, or months remaining. Jesus, you are the most important thing to us today. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. 
We hope to see you soon.